Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back, sports fans, to another episode of the Charity Stripe Podcast brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one sports podcast network in Los Angeles. For those listening at home, on the road, in the air, or in the water, do you believe? We have a great show for you guys today. Greg Kelly, the subject of the new Showtime docuseries called Outcry, joins the boys today on a very emotional and new kind of Charity Stripe episode. So buckle up. Three, two, one. We're back. We sitting here. I supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. back baby it's the charity stripe pitch your free throws because they're free so 264 coming hot at you guys and so 263 and i'm joined on this one by offensive and defensive coordinators nikki snacks Kreider, and alex toss me the rock tosopolis and you heard it in the introduction you'll hear it in just a few short moments in the interview we have greg kelly coming on and this is a case nick i'd love for you to speak about it because you're from the area on give a little bit of detail for those who are unaware yeah. of the situation yeah, I'll give the, the listeners some context. So um, I grew up in Williamson County um, after I moved from San Diego, um, which is in Texas, uh, Georgetown, Texas specifically. And, um, you know, high school football is big out there. Um, and this guy that is on our show, uh, Greg Kelly, was a star at Leander High School. I played against him in football, ran against him in track, never beat him in a race because the guy was stupid fast, um, just an amazing athlete and all around great guy. Um, a leader for, for Leander High School. Um, but when I was in college, something came across my computer and I saw that um, he had been accused and later on convicted of child molestation. Um, and it turns out he was wrongfully accused and convicted. Um, and I was driving in Santa Monica the other day and I saw a billboard um, on Santa Monica Boulevard and it had a poster for the new docuseries on Showtime called Outcry and looked really familiar. It was a Leander High School football picture, and I watched it as soon as it came out, um, and 
man, it was one of the most powerful docuseries I've ever seen. Absolutely. And it really hit home because obviously it was in my county, in my hometown, but also the fact that this could have happened to any one of us. Yeah. You know, it could have happened to myself, Toss, Josh, a lot of our listeners. I mean, this really highlights the, um, you know, how screwed up our justice system is sometimes. And um, you'll hear from Greg, and um, it's just in a really emotional, um, you know, heart-wrenching story that we hear. And in a way, it's also a little bit inspirational as well. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a situation that he found so many positives in, and he created so many great relationships with people. Um, so I think that's something you'll definitely see in the interview with Greg. Of course. Uh, just yeah. how inspirational he, he is and how much, you know, we talk about what's going on today with the justice system, what has been going on for a long time and, you know, what we can each do individually to be better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you, Nick, for that. Um, And to listeners out there, without further ado, the Charity Stripe team with Greg Kelly. All right, guys, you heard it in the introduction. We are joined right now by Greg Kelly, uh, who's now a Longhorn. Congratulations, Greg. Uh, he's joined the best tribe to be a part of in the world. Uh, you saw him on Outcry Showtime. He was the subject of that docuseries, which really uh, pulled at all of our heartstrings. Well made. Uh, glad to have you with us, Greg, big time. Um, Nick, though, coincidentally watching, you guys played football against each other, which I found was pretty wild. Nick's like, hey, I played football with this guy, and I thought that was crazy. Nick's also a former walk-on on Texas, so there are some connections right there. And if you got Nick, you yeah. want to talk a bit about Williamson, so give everyone a lowdown over there. Yeah, I mean, Greg played at Leander High School. I played at Georgetown High School. Um, you know, I ran track against him, couldn't never beat him in a race. I don't probably doesn't remember me because I never beat him. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I played against him in football, and um, you know, growing up in Williamson County, I'm sure Greg, I mean, when I moved from California to Williamson County, one of the things that they always told us was that, you know, it's a, it's a no joke, no, no funny business County, right? They don't mess around there. Uh, stay out of trouble as best as you can. And I think the the documentary really kind of highlights that almost to a fault. Um, so, I mean, playing in, playing in that area, like I think, you know, as, as a football player, you know, you always try to stay on your best behavior. And, um, you know, I, I think, we both try to do that as best as we can. And it's just kind of, it's kind of scary to think that this could have happened to anybody um, who played and someone who's in my shoes, you know, playing in the same County as you. Right. Yeah, man. I mean, thank you guys. First and foremost, thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, totally. Man. Uh, it was, yeah. It was my pleasure getting on here and talking with you guys. Um, um, yeah. I'm so happy to be a Longhorn <laughs> now. Uh, it's definitely a long time coming. Um, but, you know, growing up in Williamson County, it's definitely true. You know, uh, like the old saying goes, if you're going to do it, don't do it in Wilco. So that that right there, man, gave you an idea because Williamson County has a history of wrongfully convicting people, but also has a history of um, holding a very high <clears throat> conviction rate. Um, you know, notably, they're known for a 98% conviction rate. They held that for many, many years. And so when you when you think about that, it makes you cringe because – I'm like, are you telling me that out of 100 guys, 98 of them are going to be convicted? And then, like, the other two, they're probably didn't, like, they weren't found not guilty. They yeah. probably just pled out in some type of way. So it, it, it gives you an idea, like, okay, it's a tough-on-crime type of county, which, I mean, every county should be tough-on-crime because criminals should 
um, receive consequences for their actions. But at the same time, if it's if it's so easy just to slap a label on somebody and pursue them and accuse them, then that's also a fault that needs to be corrected. So, um, yeah, Williamson County, man, growing up in Williamson County, it was definitely um, you definitely had to be put in a place where, you know what, you want to go and do something, you want to go and be successful, you have the opportunity to do it. But at the same time, I don't think anybody could ever prepare for being falsely accused. Yeah, I mean, I you know what, it's you you, you watch and it's constantly like, this could have happened to anybody is a thing that keeps being repeated. And it's so true. I literally said to Nick on the phone, like, dude, this could have been you. Like I was talking earlier, like, I'm like, there's no way that hundred yeah. percent, like hundred, but you know what? Like, and I'm, I don't, I'm curious, has anybody told you this? Like you, the way you handled it. Like, I know, like I put myself in that, in those shoes, even when they, you know, they say, they say guilty, they find you guilty. Like you put your head yeah. on the table, you see that, which is hard to see, but then you kind of like keep it composed still. I was like, is this kid 18 or is this kid 35? You know, yeah. it couldn't, uh, you know, on, you, you, you wouldn't wish it on anybody. Probably couldn't have happened to a tougher guy, though, truthfully, you know, a more put together guy. Was it, you know, did you feel you had to do that in that moment uh, for you and your family and kind of go in with the, the best attitude possible? Or is it just kind of like a whirlwind, like a whirlwind of emotions at the moment? You know, it, it was a whirlwind of emotions. Um, I honestly can't remember much of yeah. that terrible night where it happened, you know, I, me watching the documentary, um, I, you know, I, I can't remember me putting my head down on the table and, and crying and sobbing. And I remember like, I, but you know, what's crazy is I do remember me just repeatedly saying over and over again under my tears that I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And um, a juror actually said, heard that too. And I think when the jury heard that and saw my reaction of me being broken and my life crashing down to earth, I, um, I think they, a lot of them were like, Oh crap, did we actually make the right decision? Because, you know, on one part of all this, the juror the jury, and we could talk about them all day long, but they were actually pressured to convict because they were getting tired. You know, they were hung for 14 hours. They're getting tired. You know, a judge said, Hey, you know, you're gonna have to make a decision or we're going to have to, you know, room and board you. And a lot of them were holding out saying, I just can't convict this kid until, you know, all these other jurors started attacking the jurors hanging, holding out saying, Hey, you, we need to, I need to go home to my family. I have work tomorrow. And little did they actually know that there's actually a life that they're about to ruin. And so sitting there, man, when you ask me, how did I get through it? I think football and the perseverance of making it to the fifth quarter on a bunch of games really had um, a lesson learning experience for me. You know, like, you know, when you make a bad, when you make a bad play, when you get burnt as a safety, when you miss a tackle, you get trucked by a running back. I think right then and there, the very next play, are you going to tuck your tail between your legs or are you going to have short-term memory, right? Or are you just going to keep on going and you're going to just brush that off and are you going to play the next play? And I think at that moment, when I put my head down on the table, I knew that, okay, I got trucked, I got burnt, I got, I missed the tackle all at the same time. Am I going to pick my head back up and walk out of this and go fight to see another play? Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what I did that in that situation was, all right, Greg, collect yourself, you know, walk out, you know, say, tell your family goodbye, but we're going to keep fighting. And I think at that moment, as hopeless as I, I felt, 
there was still a spark and a fire that, that wasn't out yet. Yeah, I mean, it's a great lesson. I mean, it was, so it's, it's interesting. At the end of the doc, you kind of give a lesson that you took from something. And I thought it was, first of all, Truman Show is an unbelievable movie. You know, a movie. Yeah, <laughs> I totally missed. I totally misquoted everything, but at the same time, I, I, that's the first time I ever seen it. But so whenever, whenever the when I watched the Truman Show before I went to bed, and Truman, you know, getting his whole life just getting adopted into uh, a place where his whole life's entertainment from birth all the way to like how old, he, however old old he was. Yeah. You, I mean, that's kind of how I felt. But at the same time, Truman, a lot of people don't understand how Truman left that thing because they're like, oh, it's just a really cool show, you know, and, he, you know, but he left that as a complete champion. He could have just cussed everybody out. And I think at that moment, right then and there, going through, you know, still waiting for the CCA to make a decision and all the, the anger that I've had in my heart, I knew at that moment, I'm like, man, I look up to Truman, even though it's fake. I still look up to man. I want that so bad, not for them, but for me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I never. I've seen that movie. I'm a huge Jim Carrey guy. We're all like, we yeah. we're all podcast. We're podcasters and actors. So that's what we do full time. Yeah. And we're nice. um, Jim Carrey's like him, Tom Hanks. Two reasons I got into it, and so I've seen that movie so many times, man. And I never like looked at it like I mean I you know it's glossed my mind, but I never was able to relate like that. And because you know because he yeah. couldn't he couldn't help it like he had no choice, and you had no choice. And to see you take a positive, um, almost and look at it like a positive is still crazy. That, like you know because I don't know if I would have cussed everybody out, but there were a lot of people who just did you dirty after even after it was all said and done. A lot of people who just did you dirty, and I was like, oh my god. I can't believe I couldn't believe it. The Ranger too, two face mf -er, you know. But for you to kind of hold yeah. your head up and be like, you know what, I'm gonna move past this and and see the positive and walk out like a champ is, I mean, it's brave, honestly, and it's smart. It's like the smart decision to kind of hold your mince your words a little bit. Um, speaking of positives, uh, were there any you know positives you took away from the situation? Watching it back, you know, you said a lot of it's a blur. You know, I mean, even though it's a big moment in your life. It's still, you know, it was a couple of years ago. They're still, you know, looking back and getting to watch yeah. it back. You know, it's like kind of watching game film almost in a sense. Yeah. Is are there some positives you took away from the situation? You're like, you know what, the, like relationships grew stronger. People came into my life, you know, um, stuff like that. Yeah. Now, I believe that there is positives on some type of level you can take from every situation. It's just your perspective in that situation, right? Do you choose to look at the situation with the glass half full or half empty? And so going into this i was always raised to be very grateful for everything that you get that the things that are given to you or other than uh water um food and shelter is a privilege and that's exactly how it is in prison too so kind of living to be a minimalist kid who really just didn't have much growing up financially parents just you know worked really hard to make ends meet but at the same time, didn't have the nicest things, didn't have a car till all 17, um, things like that, man, going, going into this, I've learned to be a very grateful person. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about the good things, I choose to look at the good things and all the great things that have come from this, uh, and the relationship wise, you know, something that the biggest thing I believe a positive that came from this is my fa my faith, as well as my family's faith in this whole thing. Um, growing, growing up, you know, I was the type of guy that went to church and did the whole deal where my, because my mom went to church and my mom, my mom brought me and my sons to church. 
but um, when I was in in prison, man, I, I I hit rock bottom. I was at a point where when you hit rock bottom, the only place you can look is up. So what I needed to do is believe in something bigger than myself because just believing in myself here is not going to do it in that place as a wrongfully convicted person being labeled the scum of the earth, the pedophile, and, you know, having to look over your shoulder and watch your back each and every day, um, just believing in yourself is not enough. So I had to believe in something higher than myself. I've had to dig really deep and find these virtues and these values and strengthen my faith in a way where I was unshakable, that I had a hope and I had a faith that I was going to get back home with my family, I was going to get my life back, and I was going to play football again. And um, so I really just decided to do a lot of soul searching. I decided to see God in the situation and what he was trying to show me in this situation. And so I think um, being put in that situation, it not only just grew my faith and my relationship with God, but also the relationship that I had with Gabriel. You know, Gabriel and I got put in a situation where we started dating in ninth grade, right? High school, yeah. actually really middle school sweethearts. We started falling for each other in eighth grade, <laughs> but we, we made it official in ninth grade. And um, man, going into all of this was was unbelievable because Gabriel and I, Gabriel is super busy. I mean, she's a very talented choreographer and dancer. She was the captain of the Bluebells and, and the Leander High School School District. The Bluebells were like the cream of the crop. They're nationally known and every other dance team um, kind of, kind of, I guess you could say, um, imitated the Bluebells on what they did. And they, they were, it was always a treat for uh, Tracy Anderson, Gabriel's mom, to branch out to other schools to teach their <laughs> dance team and refine and craft their dance team. So they were, they were, they were the hot shots. And so Gabriel had a full plate. I mean, she was, she was as busy as a full-time teacher as well as going to high school. So I was also busy working out, training, studying, making sure my grades are right. Um, so it, it worked out to a point where we just like, we're boyfriend and girlfriend, but at the same time, we weren't necessarily doing the things that boyfriend and girlfriends do, like go on dates all right. the time and stuff. So whenever I was in prison, man, Gabriel and I had the opportunity. And I say opportunity because I try to say it that way, even though I was forced to, to go into a very unjust place. We had the opportunity of a lifetime to get to know each other minus the physical, right? Because I think nowadays in high school and in college, you got to go and kiss each other and hug each other and hold yeah. hands and be intimate in a physical sense to know if you're really in love. And so Gabriel and I, we fell in love with each other through letters, through phone calls, through getting to know each other in a non-tangible way where when I got out, I guess, man, we knew each other like the back of our hand. I'll tell you that, man, when I got out, it was almost like we were finishing each other's sentences. We knew each other so much. So when you talk about a, a positive thing now that we're married, um, do we still struggle? Do we still have, you know, headbutts and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, every marriage, married couple does. Start to whisper a little. Time, he starts to whisper a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean at the same, but, at the, but at the same time, man, we, we, uh, we, we, we un, unconditionally love each other very much. And then also another thing too is um, all the relationships that I've created with the people that fought for me, um, the friendships, Jake Bryden, as you know, oh, on the documentary. Oh God. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about how, how he became very uh, significant in my life and how he, like I said, he was almost like an angel. He came out of left field, doesn't know who I am, 
was called by God. He literally says, man, I, I felt like I was called by God. I mean, there was no other explanation on why I showed up in your life. And he's like, I just could not sleep at night because I couldn't stop thinking about you. But it's now that him and I are like best friends. That guy's almost like my best friend. He married us, me and Gabriel. Yeah. So, so yeah, man, the relationships also, another thing too is um, my business that I have right now. I'm a, even though I'm a, I'm a full-time student at UT, I'm still waiting to see if they're going to call me to, to, as a walk-on at UT. I tried out back in February. I felt like I did pretty good. My measurables were good, but then, you know, the whole messed up thing about this is, and I, I try to laugh at it rather than just get angry, but I spent six years of my life unjustly accused and convicted and, and trying to get exonerated. And then I get exonerated and I'm a free man going into a pandemic. Dude, I know. And so I the irony. The irony. So like, now we're in a position where UT is not only is Tom Herman at his last year of his contract, he's fighting to, you know, hopefully get re-upped here, but also he, he has new coaching staffs. You know what I mean? He's got new players coming in. He's got, he's getting pulled every, every which way. We don't even know if the big 12 is going to pull out like, like these other conferences have already. So now I think we're in a position where I don't even know if I'm going to even get that call because we don't even know if there's going to be a season. So as a full-time student, you know, worrying if I'm going to play football again here, um, I've, I've, I've developed these skills in prison with woodworking and welding. Um, I had the opportunity after a year being in prison, um, after a year being in there, you get the crappiest job your first year. You're either going to be kitchen, you're going to be chow hall, you're going to be janitor, you're going to go out to the field squad and go go pick crops and go have to go and, and shovel crap from the cows and the chickens. Cause I was on, a, I was on a farm, man. So like, don't think prison is like what you see where it's just like concrete and cell blocks and it's really cold and everybody, it's not like that. So in Texas, there is no ACs. There is no AC in prison. Most of the prison units are red brick and it's, and everybody there has a, now depending on what unit you're at, I was on a unit where it was, Almost like a farm where there's 3,000 people and everybody there were hardworking, hardworking people were going to college. So I was going to college in there, get, seeking out some business degree credits. Um, I did not transfer over to UT. Um, I got into the College of Education, but I could not get into the Macomb School of Business. Um, but so I, I started a kinesiology degree now. But while I was in there, I, I seeked out some business credits. Just to, honestly, I manipulated the system to get on the win unit because the wind unit was one of the safest prisons that you could be on because everybody there is older. They've got 25 plus year sentences. And if you're 30 or 40 years old with 25 plus year sentences, then you're most likely just a guy who just wants to work and live the life, the best life he possibly can because you've got nothing else. Right. But if you're 18 or 19, like my age with a life sentence, then you're going to go unit full of knuckleheads that have nothing to lose. So I, I, Manipulated the system where I signed up for college. Um, and while you're in college, you have to still work. I was in the field squad for a little bit. And uh, after a year, they gave me the opportunity to, to, to pick my job. So I said, well, I want to go to the factories and I want to learn how to woodwork and I want to learn how to do all this stuff. And so I started doing all that. And now, and it's, it's ironic because a, a boss of mine, when I got to that factory about a year into working, he said, Son, if you, you're going you're gonna to learn all these skills, and you're going to take it out to the world, and you're going to make a lot of money with it. I said, man, I'm not even supposed to be here, so I'm just doing this to get by. Um, it's fun. right? I'm creating, I'm building, I'm engineering things. And so 
I said, whatever. Right. And so funny now that I own a business called Tomahawk targets where I build and customize ax throwing boards and cornhole sets that are made nice. out of wood and it's going great. I mean, the demand's huge and I'm very blessed and fortunate that people want to support me through my business. So I, uh, it's funny how that works. I learned those skills in prison. So yeah. That, that is crazy. Those tomahawk things are big in, in Austin. And I mean, obviously yeah. cornhole's cornhole's massive. I mean, it's crazy. There's right. there's so many presumptions about I mean, you just so many presumptions in general. Like me going into watching Outcry. My 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 mom was an ADA. So she's the assistant district attorney of Nassau County in Long Island. So she's yeah. she so she's been in this position before, right? She was in but for drugs, not for not for that uh, that sect. Um, and when I first when I explained to her, I was like, "Mom, you got to watch this because they put him away on one testimony." And she was she literally dropped the dish. She's like, "Are you kidding me?" You know, or she said, "Are you effing kidding me?" Because yeah. she's a New Yorker, you know. So she went full right. <laughs> full New York with it. Um, but yeah, man, there's so many just presumptions that you kind of you know blow past. And hearing that about prison, I mean, it's great that they put you in like a safe space because we know how. I mean, yeah. we just know how tough it is. It could be for someone labeled you know, as a child molester and convicted as such going into, well, obviously you didn't do it, but you know, you are convicted going into it. So they don't, there's no like, Hey, I didn't do this. Yeah. You know, they, I'm sure there's people that don't care. Like you're saying knuckleheads in there just to stir fights. I mean, there is like that level. When did that kind of become a reality for you? You know, um, it was always a reality. You know, there was guys in there that hated me. There was guys in there that didn't like me. Um, man, being labeled a child molester, your life expectancy is not years in prison days you know i've all around me i've had to unfortunately witness people get beat up stabbed and killed because of what they're in there for um and for the fact that that could be me you know if the right person right wants to do that and they find out but that wasn't the case i was never stabbed i've had to defend myself a few times um due to people that just didn't care, that didn't understand, they didn't want to understand. They felt like it was their job to, um, to make sure that those guys weren't around in the prison units. Um, but at the, at the same time, um, I could have had it a lot worse. Um, for the fact that I was kind of an athlete and kind of made friends with everybody and I was easy to talk to and get to know and I wasn't going to you know, backstab you and I wasn't going to gossip or anything you have to tell me. I wasn't going to go share that with somebody else. And I think, I think when people came to me for advice, I would give it to them and I wouldn't share every deep, dark secret that they told me with somebody else. They're like, Oh, so you're a loyal dude then. So I think I grew respect in a way that way where guys kind of saw me as, okay, I can go and talk to them and hang out and stuff like that. And also with the rec yard, I was, I was, I was still athletic. I mean, I, I wanted to continue to work out and I wanted to continue to keep my speed because I mean, Hey, I had hope and faith that I was going to get back out and play football again. So I wanted to uh, stay fit, stay athletic. So I, I would race people. I mean, we would, they, we had like a little track and we would do some races and, <laughs> and uh, I never gambled or anything, but people, people literally called me uh, like a horse because they, they would. So what happened was is that they would literally, when people would race, they would be like gambling on the side oh and then people would be like, there people would be like, that's my horse right there. And I always the favorite. huh? Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, whatever, I'm just doing this cause it's fun. And so, but, uh, I was the type of guy, man, that was competitive that played basketball a lot there that, um, just did things where people wanted me on their team. So I think in a grand scheme of things, 
I was uh, respected. And so I think because I was respected, I was safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it could have been a whole lot worse. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, we see the we see a video of you when you come out, and it, one of like the lighter moments, obviously, of the show is you get up on that wakeboard in one shot. And you, you, yeah, you, yeah. yeah, you looked like you were not messing around. I was like, dang, that guy, that guy, that guy's serious. He looks like he's been doing that a hot minute. Focused. Yeah, that was impressive. I was, I was, yeah, I was gonna say that that football. I mean, it seems like it's shaped your life quite a bit. I mean, not even knowing that it was gonna shape your life in a courtroom or you know in prison. I mean, I think a lot of people think who don't play the sport like, okay, it's just you know a game that guys play. We watch it, we gamble on it, we we you know root on our favorite teams. But I think for myself and for you, I mean, it's shaped us as men and it's really kind of shaped who we are and, and the decisions that we make. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the lessons I've learned from my coaches from in-game situations where we're down 40 points and we need to pull something out of our, of our hats here to, to win this. But we re- in the reality of it was that we just bared down, you know, tucked our chin and we were ready to go fight. And so I think that's kind of, I've seen those situations many times playing in varsity games where we went into the fifth quarter. I mean, there were it was Cedar Park every single time. I mean, we would play against Cedar Park, and I never beat Cedar Park. You know, my sophomore, my junior year, we would always lose to them by two. You know, and but there was also playoff games where we won by two points, four points, seven points, and it was because um, I, we we met in this situation where all these plays we must we probably shot ourselves in the foot and we missed all these tackles and we made all these mistakes but it's that one last play that matters the most i think in my in my case it was that one last play of being strong where it made the difference so football taught me a lot Um, it taught me how to persevere through uh, situations where it just seemed like we weren't going to win ironically you were pretty much in the limelight from the jump I mean, listen, where I'm from, they throw the sophomores on the varsity team because there's no one else to play. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you know, like yeah. all like the Long Island Jews just shove them with the freshman if he's big enough and could block somebody. You know, they're going to throw them all there. But for you guys, a sophomore playing varsity is legit. Like, that's a, you're, you're, that's a, that's a bad yeah. motherfucker right there. So you were in the spotlight, and did that you feel that helped you shape you a bit as well? Because it was kind of like a double-edged sword. That, it helped because there was people fighting for you you know, in a sense, but it also hurt yeah. because it was a little more high profile, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think kind of being brought up as a sophomore, I got brought up as a freshman for playoffs, but as a sophomore, I got put in a position where I had to back up um, a safety, uh, starting senior safety. And uh, I, I got reps in. So like, I, I mean, as a sophomore, I was like, I was so used to playing against people that were smaller than me. Cause when I was a sophomore, I was just a little bit smaller than what I am now. So whenever I was, like when I was a freshman uh, playing, I was just like, oh, yeah, this is easy. But when I got to the varsity, it was a whole nother game because these guys are 20, 30 pounds heavier than me, especially the running backs. Yeah. And so and so I, uh, you know, getting shook up and getting my bell rung the first time really woke me up. I was like, oh, yeah, this is not this is not PB football anymore. So yeah. um, I had to I had to it was a learning curve and I had to learn really fast to uh, to be aggressive and to uh, to fight. And so. Junior year, I was fortunate to to uh, to fill the shoes of that senior that just went to college, and um, I had to go and I had to go and lead, you know, and I had to learn the the, the values and the qualities of a leader. Um, 
for men that were looking up to you, that were looking for looking at you as as a support. And so, um, yeah, it's definitely shaped me in a lot of ways. Yeah. Do you feel like you, because you said you're going into kinesiology, do you feel like coaching mm-hmm. potentially someday could be in the works or some sort of involvement in football in that way? I mean, just from what you bring, you know, to the table. And I'm curious to see if, you know, you've met maybe other guys when you're in prison who were in a similar situation, who were wrongly convicted, and if there's a relationship you still maintain there, as well as do you plan on, there's so much that needs to be done with prison reform, because you mentioned at the top, I mean, Williamson County is 98%, which is a lot, of, like you're right. telling me 98 out of 100 guys are, are guilty. That's It's not possible, almost, you yeah. know? Yeah. So do you feel like, you know, kind of going into coaching and kind of, you know, leading on and telling your story and helping out there, or is it in that sense, you know, you for that second part, you've had enough and you've, you know, it's taken out a good amount of your life and you want to move on. Right. No, I think to your first question about coaching, I I do see myself in some realm later on um, in my life, uh, do getting in coaching, you know, either that be performance wise or um, I love being a personal trainer. Fitness is a huge, huge uh, love of mine. And um, so as I would most likely see myself more as a performance trainer um, I could see myself coaching um, college football, high school football, you know, NFL if that needs to be. But I, I definitely have something for um, high school and college if I ever become a coach in that realm. I just know that that requires a lot of sacrifice, again, you know, away from family and, and stuff like that. So that would be a huge decision to make. Right. Uh, on your second question um, about prison reform, I do um, look forward to starting a prison ministry. Um, on the faith side of things, you know, being able to go back and give back to the guys that have given me so much, that poured into me, that planted seeds, that and and taught me lessons that I'll remember for the rest of my life. You know, there are guys that I still keep in contact with, and I really? reach out to, and I, I support financially some from time to time. And wow. so, because because those guys supported me, you know, there you gotta we gotta remember at the end of the day, even though I'm innocent and they rightfully did what they did right and they they should rightfully receive you know receive the uh the consequences to their action which is all of my friends were you know all my friends were were life senators they uh they all had life and i felt like the guys that had life they were more easy to make friends with than the guys that did not have life and it was like because those guys that's all they have left is looking forward to the rest of their life just making the best out of the situation because you have to also raise the question where's their heart in that situation is their heart wanting to change to take responsibility for their actions are they wanting to go pursue a better life now and the guys that i you know like the guys were in my circle were guys that were trying to pursue a better life and so um but at the end of the day we're the same people you know two guys one might be innocent one's guilty going and struggling in the same situation of prison. And so when we're, we're going through that, that crap hole, you now sit there like you grow a bond with each other, right? On a brotherly bond where, you know, you got to get through this together. And so. Did you forget forget at times that they were, in there for what they had done certain guys. Cause you're dealing with life guys. If you're in there for life, it's, it's a serious, right. It's just, I mean, like, cause I've been, I've, ne- I've been in, I've been inside of maximum security prison once for a performance 
and there was we were that we performed and then they performed classical theater i literally in the i was in italy i forgot two hours in i forgot these guys were prisoners i'm just watching them perform i'm just watching actors i forgot i was in a cell even i didn't even realize were there moments like that where you were able to put because i'm just so curious because we give them these sentences and then we did we pile more on them so that's just not enough sometimes and some listen sometimes people deserve it they really do but sometimes people make one terrible mistake and then their whole life at 18 their whole life is you know gone to shit so do you find that sometimes you were you know forgetting that these guys they were actually good people who just made a bad mistake when they were younger absolutely yeah i think everybody has the ability to be good um yeah you know everybody has the ability to be good and um i think as natural human beings we have a sin nature where uh some of these guys and you'll find it man nine times i can't say nine times out of ten 98 times out of 100 a lot of these guys that are in prison, they grew up without fathers. You know, they grew up in a place where all they knew was the life that they had before they went to prison. And the life they had before they went to prison was a life of sin and crime. And so at some point you can't even blame them, right? Like for what they're in there for. But on another on another level too, they're getting to know better. They're gonna they're going to and, and in prison you do have the opportunity to better your life. You do have um, rehabilitation uh, services. I mean, you can go to college. You can go and pursue a trade. You can seek out psychological help. You can seek out um, um, different type of chapel classes. You want to strengthen your faith. There are resources out there. And you'll find the guys who made a mistake in life and owning up to it, right? A lot of the guys that, are, that have life sentences and have been in there for 25, 30 years, they made that mistake when they're 17, 18 years old, right? One of them, one of my guys that I consider my spiritual father, his name is Ray Ray. He's been down there 33 years. He's a Hispanic guy. He is uh, 48, I believe now, 40. Yeah, no, he, he came down when he was like 15 years old, man. I mean, he was so young. He was so young. He started in juvie and he got, he got his life sentence as a 15 or 16 year old in a gang fight and he killed another gang member, a rival gang member. It was here in Austin off of Montopolis and he went to juvie court and the, the judge, and at that time you could send you, you can send um, juvie, you can send underage kids to prison, right. For the rest of their life. You, and at that time you can even send them to death, but they kind of reversed that, that law where you can't execute minors anymore but you could still send them to prison for the rest of your life of their life. And, and, you know, he has a life sentence because he killed an ex gang member, a rival gang member, and he mocked the judge who, who was giving him a life sentence. He mocked him during sentencing. So the judge said, I'm going to send you to, to prison for the rest of your life. You need it. So now fast forward, you know, 30 something odd years later, this guy has probably brought over 900 to 2000 inmates to Christ. Why? Because he was once that person, that knucklehead. He loves, he, lo- he always says he loves going out to, um, to seg and talking and, and just walking the run cell by cell, you know, just relating to the guys, talking to them because he was granted that permission by the warden because of how much uh, change they've seen in him through the years. And so he was a guy that was influential in my life, 
right? He made a mistake at 17 years old by killing somebody and then, and, and running with the gang and everything, and then mocking a judge that were sentencing him. And now he has to spend the rest of his life with that consequence. Those are the guys that I, I befriended while I was in there that made a terrible mistake. But now these guys have taught me lessons that I'm gonna carry for the rest of my life. You know, they're, I consider them my brothers. And um, so that just speaks volumes of the love that was shared to me um, on a brotherly level while I was in there. You, you seem like you've made, you know, quite a, uh, a number of relationships and, you know, a lot of people have come to your life. I'm sure there's a lot of people that you lost in your life too because of this. Mm -hmm. Have any of those people tried to come back and apologize for, you know, taking the other side or, or um, just trying to come to your aid? Yeah, no, you know, when this all first started, man, um, a lot of people don't realize. And I, you know, I, uh, I wanted to talk about this really quick. Man, whenever whenever this first happened, it tore our our city apart. Like it divided our city. Mm-hmm. Where I mean, I don't know if you remember early on, but when I was getting accused, the media ran with it and started painting me as a monster. Especially when the second accusation came out, they started painting me as this high school football star, you know, overpowering kids and this and that. Like it was terrible. And it hurts so bad for me being portrayed that because I'm not that guy. I never lived that life. Right. I was a guy who just wanted to make good grades, play football, have a girlfriend, and just go make something of himself. So getting painted like that was absolutely heartbreaking. It was disgusting, especially for a crime so despicable. you know. And I want people to relate to that because it tore my family or our friends apart. I mean, uh, half of my friends believed it and the other half was like, no, I'm standing and fighting with you, Greg. You're not that guy. Right. And now after the exoneration, after the truth came out, right, I've had people reach out to me, um, messages, calls, just run into each other at HEB and Walmart, um, just apologizing, you know, just actually random strangers too who just kind of ran with the ran with the media and what they were saying about me just you know saying I'm so sorry I, I didn't know all that stuff um, and you know nobody did into because there was no proper investigation so you you kind of can't blame them on half of the part but for the people that did not care they believed who I was and what my heart stands for those are the guys that have my heart those are the guys that I I uh, I, I cherish near and dear to my heart mm-hmm. um, um, the you know, so the other day I was, you know, on social media and I was just, it was really hurting me to see people telling me like, Hey, if you were black, then you would probably still be in prison. Mm -hmm. And on some level, I think that, you know, there needs to be change when it comes to law enforcement on how they handle African-American people and how they stereotype them. But on the other level too, I understand, and I can personally understand that there's a problem in the whole spectrum of injustice for all colors because the DA's office was all white. The jury panel was white and Hispanic. Um, and they convicted me, you know, I'm a half Hispanic, half white man and they convicted me. So I don't think that people can see that problem and in our whole nation. And so, um, rather that be social injustice and also, um, criminal injustice. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think the, like the really, it's tough, right. To, we can only talk about it from our experience as actors, but to be in front of a camera is something that you had to deal with before the documentary started, while the documentary was going on. And it's not easy, right? And it's it's something that's always there. And I'm sure it was something that was in your mind the entire time 
that this was all being captured. Um, but I think what's what's really cool, and I think what was really like very brave um, and encouraging to to me about it is that now people can look at at what happened to you and and hopefully find some source of inspiration to go and look for more information about things when they happen, not to make these kind of predisposed judgments when there are certain words, whether it be, you know, rape, rapist or, or someone who's been, you know, killed because of the color of their, their skin, whatever it is, and that people dig deeper and go and try and figure out what the real facts are. And, and hopefully the right. people who are in the position who are going after the facts, detectives, lawyers, that they're putting a lot more onus on themselves to, to do their job correctly. So I think, um, I don't know, I, I hope that that's something that you, you see in it now that it's done, at least for me, that's one, I can only speak for myself, but one person who, you know, this, it's, there's such like this talk about cancel culture, right? That especially right now with this upcoming election and every, everyone's so polarized against each other. And I think that right. like, if we all just could do a little bit more of a little more research, a little more reading, a little more like loving and being em- empathetic towards other people, like we can we can better understand what, what everyone wants. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. I totally hundred percent agree, agree with you. You know, um, I think, I think the people that knew my case and know the truth the most are the people that did the digging, like what Jake Bryden did. Um, you know, a lot of people say that the people that have loved me and supported me, they just hopped on a cause and hopped on a bandwagon and just, you know, just showed up to these rallies when they don't know me at all. Well, what re- the reality is, is that the people that knew me, right, know these people that wanted to show up. There were just no strangers showing up to these rallies fighting for me. There were people that knew me that told their friends, like, hey, I want to explain who this guy is and what he, he means to me. And then they're like, oh, if you support him, then I support you. So I'm going to go. And I think whenever Jake got involved, even though he didn't know me personally, yeah, he crazy. didn't know me personally. He knew Gavery's dad, David Anderson, because and he saw David Anderson, who is, who was a um, a long time, thirty years LAISD coach and teacher, and he taught uh, leadership at Leander High School, and he was one of those coaches that man, you just could not wait until your junior or senior year where you could take his leadership class, even though it was an elective, you could not wait because you knew that you were going to have so much fun in his class. You were going to play all these games and you're going to play team building games and leadership games. And it wasn't just going to be a class where you're just going to blow off, you know? And I, 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 unfortunately, man, I, I, you know, it, it hurts that I never even got to take that class because I didn't have a senior year. I was going to take it my first semester of my senior year. Um, but at the time I was dating Gabriel, um, in high school and while I was getting accused and with David being a man who has imprinted, right, so many um, wonderful memories in these men that live in Leander, he's imprinted so much awesome things into Jake. And as Jake goes and becomes a man and runs a business, Jake uses the things he learned from David to excel in life. So when Jake saw David on TV crying during my conviction, just crying, broken on the news. He calls David just like the, the three days after I was convicted. He calls him and says, hey, what's going on with this Greg Kelly guy, right? Like, what, what, what do you know about him? Like, how, what can you tell me? He's like, well, Jake, you know, he's, he's my, my, my daughter's boyfriend. He was, he's a great guy, I respect him. 
he came to me before anybody else when he was accused. I, he sat down with me and I asked him, did he do it? And I looked him in the eyes and he told me no. And at that point, I, I respected the kid even more. And so Jake said, you know, I'm going to go and do some digging and I'm going to go and see, you know, because you support him. That's what really got my attention here, David. And, and so, um, he went to go do some digging. He said, yeah, this trial was a sham, you know, that he shouldn't even been charged, you know, no evidence against them just on the testimony of a child. He's going to go to, he's going to go to prison. He's going to go to prison for the, for 25 to life. And so that, that alone is pretty scary. But when you start opening up all these cans of worms and you start digging for the truth and turn over these stones, it becomes even scarier yeah, that this could just, out. yeah, that, that a target you put on somebody's back, all this evidence can be suppressed. And if Jake didn't get involved and all the people didn't get involved as well after Jake got involved, then I honestly promise you that I would still be in prison. It's crazy because the, you, you, you get dealt the worst hand here but then all of a sudden yeah. the things that follow jake's involvement which he comes up in the dock i'm like what's this guy doing you're like almost kind of throwing it back like this guy like does he want something is he looking for something and the whole time like you're i'm expecting that to come out like okay like this he's just like one of those guys like the rare breeds that just threw and through a good dude like just threw and through like yeah. a good person and you the home run of a lifetime is your attorney I mean the the real home yeah, run, Keith. the real home run is Gabriel like sticking by you because that's just that's like eleven out of ten unbelievable. Yeah, that's, that's a one like, of a kind love that's story. Like, that, sure. Yeah, that's like one of that. That's I mean, when that's how you know. I mean, I know you know, but like for the rest of us watching, it's like oh my god, like that's that's a good bond that's unbreakable. But Keith was really yeah. and he dug and you see that and you bring up the digging and he didn't go okay he wasn't one of those guys he goes I'm just gonna do this for the dollars and the cents I'm not I'm just gonna back you he goes well let me look at this and let me take a look and let me see what I can do I can't promise anything and the whole time he wasn't he wasn't like overtly optimistic he had he had a good inkling but he wasn't like all right we got this in the bag we got this in the bag he was kind of you know resting on his laurels a bit the whole time so you could tell that he was a very diligent guy so I think he was a yeah. he, he's a home run yeah, I think we all look at Keith and we think to ourselves, if we're ever inside this situation, that we would be over the moon lucky to have a guy like that in our corner. Yeah. No, Keith, man, he's a superhero. He's a, you know, Keith was never the type of person that he's not like one of these like better call Saul type of attorneys, right? Like he's one of those guys that will shoot it to you straight and he's going to say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you know that it's not looking too good right now. And, and, and you know, because he's never, he never wants to get your hopes up. And there's a reason why this man has is exonerated over 11 people in his life. I mean, attorneys, defense attorneys, appeal attorneys, right? Specifically appeal attorneys, they fight and they work so hard day and night to exonerate at least one person in their career. One, this man has done it 11 times. And how, why has he done it 11 times? Is because this man is, has literally been called and born to do this job, to, to go and fight for people that can't fight for themselves, that have already been deemed guilty, that there is no benefit of the doubt. You have been labeled, and you're going to have to war, fight like hell 100% of the time to go and prove this man innocent because you already have a system working against you. The system you're trying to convince is working against you. So 
like to, to, to be in a situation where the DAs are agreeing with Keith Hampton because Keith did the work and he did the digging Crushed it. to prove my innocence. The DA hadn't, and especially the DA's office who actually have a heart, who actually want to go and seek truth and justice. And it justice is just not a successful prosecution, right? With this DA's office, Sean Dick, successful is, uh, uh, justice is not a successful prosecution like the detective who literally boldly and confidently says that on the stand. He says, they ask him, what is a goal in, in, the, in an investigation? And this man confidently says a successful prosecution. That's the problem. When we have detectives that wear a badge confidently and says, and, and says that a, the goal of a, an investigation is a successful prosecution, that is a virus in our justice system that needs to be taken care of. Because that now can be anybody. That could be anybody, right? Because if the man's telling you he's innocent, he has nothing to do with it, is it still a successful prosecution, right? Like, is it still a successful prosecution? That's a nightmare that I don't wish on anybody. Right. So now, like, going to Gabriel, I'm telling you, Gabriel's probably the measuring stick of all women when it comes to ride or dies. I mean, I oh, mean, yeah. you, I mean, yeah, I mean, she's definitely the measuring stick. <laughs> the so, number one, like the OG. Yeah. And your mom and your mom, yeah. your mom too. I will say this for me. The that was most, one of the most powerful moments in the show for sure. Your, your mom's, mom's speech at the end when I was like, I was like, all right, she may like, she starts off. I'm like, Oh no. Like I hope someone goes up to the, goes up there with her. This is like when my mind goes like someone goes up there and like holds her hand, like helps her through it. Cause it's tough. I mean, this is like unimaginably tough, but she popped yeah. off and I was like, Whoa, yeah. I, I like started like, I was like clapping too. It was on it was it was the most powerful speech i've ever seen it really was i was like Phew. i had to put my computer yeah, man, down that's... i was like jesus you know all in all to make to keep a long story short when it comes to a hispanic mother loving her child you don't mess with it with a, with a guatemalan son i'm telling you right now because there's a old saying in my household that i grew up in where if you go and you mess with somebody with with her son or any of her boys or if her boys do something that gets them in trouble then you're going to get something called the paleta which is a wooden spoon that you get spanked with right had holes and everything to make it more aerodynamic and and she was given that city council the paleta and that's that's what i tell her when we were watching the documentary well when we were watching the documentary i literally looked at my mom and said mom you gave him the paleta and she's <laughs> like they were, they were they were messing with the wrong hispanic son and clearly so, and uh, oh man love that man so yeah yeah, so she's a she's a she's a saint, man. When it comes to being a praying and faithful woman, she uh, I definitely felt all the prayers that she she made for me. And, and I and when she told me that she needed to go and see me every weekend, she was there every week. She drove that three hour trip to Huntsville to visit her boy to make sure that he didn't have any black eyes, he wasn't beat up um, because she was scared, you know. And if I was if I was if I had a son that was in prison. Um, I already know that I'm going to love my boy with all my heart. And so if he ever gets put in that situation, I would have to go every weekend to make sure he's okay. I know. And so the love of that, I mean, she, it's definitely a testimony of a love from mother to son. I love that, man. What would you say going forward in life is your biggest challenge? My biggest challenge going forward in life right now. Um, I don't have many of them, honestly. Um, you know, at first, I, it was so tough, you know, getting out on bond, not really being free, 
you know, I think the exoneration really just shattered a see-through glass wall where I always would say like if, you know, Pat Candelos, the director of the documentary, even though he followed me with cameras all the time, right? Every Wednesday, we're, we're waiting for that decision, pulling up that computer screen, right? Even though he was following me with cameras and getting my physical reaction to everything and how I uh, went about my day and my demeanor, he really could not understand really how I feel and felt. And so he would actually ask me questions like, how truly are you right now? Like, can you explain to me in emotions what you're feeling? Yeah. And um, can you explain to me uh, the struggles you're, you're dealing with, right? Because he needed, he needed me being totally transparent with my emotions. And I'll say, you know what? When it comes down to everything, what I feel like is I cannot pursue any long-term goals in my life. At the time when I was on bond, I can't, and I'm pursuing all these short-term ones, right? Like by staying fit and down a job that kind of, you know, gives me a little bit of extra cash and um, enjoying every bit of the next meal that I'm about to eat. I love breakfast. I love dinner. I love eating just real food and having a big hamburger, right? And those are just things that you learn to love. But at the same time, I mean, you don't have long-term goals. You don't have a future. So I could not go and pursue long-term goals of, playing football again. I could not pursue long-term goals of getting married to, to Gabri. I mean, we could not pursue and plan those things. You know, I could not pursue long-term goals to go and pl- apply for Texas and get into that school. So, you know, I felt like it was just a big glass window that was in front of me where it was just bulletproof. You can't break through it. There's only going to be one power that's going to break that glass. And and the moment that that glass broke on November 6, 2019, was a day where I felt like I was fully free. That thunder cloud, that dark cloud that was hanging over me and all those weights that felt like they was gonna crush me and tear me away from my family again and send me back to that hellhole, it was completely gone. Mm-hmm. It felt like literally I was leaving the Truman Show dome and I was gonna go out to the world and, and see my future. And so. Challenges, there's really not much because if on the grand scheme of things, if I ever tell you, um, and I always tell Gabriel, I say, you know, you know, we went through prison, you know, being falsely accused, not just me, my family, everybody else labeled to me. They did that time too. If there's anything else that comes in front of us, that's a challenge. You damn well better believe that we're going to, we're going to plow right oh, through. Yeah. I mean, there's, there, there's nothing else in life where where it's going to be as challenging as what we went through. Of course. Wrongly, wrongly accused so, of the worst crime. It's wrongly accused of the worst crime, and you busted through it. It's, it's, yeah. You, it doesn't get so, harder than that, man. And they, great, man. And the camera That's crew, the, and good for you for allowing that camera crew. That was like we said, being in front of the camera is like not easy, especially allowing it and agreeing it. You don't not knowing which way it'll go. And knowing he's going to release it either way is very brave, like for everybody involved. Like he, like yeah. was he was at that point. Yeah, go ahead. No, sorry. No, I was just saying. Like I was I, just gonna say. he was impartial. It seems like he was like just telling the story, however it was going to lie, however the chips were going to lie. He was telling it, and for you guys to get right. involved is crazy. No, Pat was definitely. He was definitely a. He's a journalist by heart. I mean, before he got into directing, yeah, he was he a journalist. Tell. He was a hardcore journalist. And he was just going to deliver the facts. And he came up to me, man, and he told my he told my family when he first started interviewing them about about a year of me being in prison when he decided to to do a green light on this documentary because of all the weird shady stuff that he's he 
he's being, you know, he's figuring out. Um, he, he told me and my family, like, Hey, I'm gonna let you know that I'm gonna deliver the facts. You know, this documentary is not going to be biased towards Greg being guilty or Greg being innocent. I'm just going to deliver. I'm going to go seek the facts. When I find them, I'm going to deliver them in a documentary. And at that moment in my life, where I'm, and, and I need people to understand this too, is at that moment in my life being falsely accused with the only hope that I had was a, a panel of nine judges that rarely find anybody innocent the last thing they would rather do is you know fall on a sword and eat nails for breakfast rather than go and find somebody innocent because they just want to say they were wrong they don't want to say that their justice system because they're the highest court of texas right the highest court criminal court in texas they don't want to say they're wrong you know and on november 6th nine judges said they were wrong two judges two of them by the way that are fighting to push a bill in law where it makes it harder to exonerate people you have to have a hundred percent dna evidence to exonerate people one of them is judge keller you know judge keller is known as killer keller where she denied somebody um, their motion of stay of execution because they were one minute late on filing it at 501. So that guy still got executed. And so that, that there is something that's just so scary. And then this was also the same CCA that denied the stay of execution for Rodney Reed a week before I was, I was found, uh, I was, my, my, my relief was granted um, on November 6th, that week prior, Rodney Reed got denied by the CCA stay of execution, which means the halt is execution. So in my head, if you saw in the documentary where I was telling Keith, like, man, I was, I've been stressing so much this week, this and that, that was put into context where that whole week I was stressing because Rodney Reed just had the green light to go with this guy who potentially could be innocent, right? Had the green light to go and get executed by the CCA. And in my head, dude, I'm thinking to myself, there is going to be no, they will not lose any sleep if they send me to back to prison. Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. Oh my, I, I didn't know that context of that. Oh my, the only, that was the only thing I was yeah. like, hmm, I didn't understand that, why that week was so specific. But dude, that is, yeah. oh my, I would have been, been shitting bricks at that point. Like after, and especially after the long wait. Yeah. And also they've been waiting, I've been waiting for two years to hear back from them. I mean, yeah. there's, there's cases that have been, there's been cases that have been filed six months prior that are already getting decisions. So like, I'm wondering why they're hanging on and putting my case on the back burner. And it was because um, they wanted to make sure, because they already knew all nine of them. They, see, the thing is, uh, Keith got some information that they made a decision a long time ago. They just wanted to make sure that all of the, the language was correct on my, on my relief granted. And, um, so, um, because I also had like, I had many claims, I had several claims and one, the thing they, they agreed on the most, all nine of them was the actual innocence claim, which is the hardest claim to get in the state of Texas, because mm -hmm. they would have to literally say that the state got it wrong. They failed you in every which way. And, um, yeah, man, it was, it was, it was a uh, heart aching. It was so terrible, but now that I'm exonerated, dude, um, life is completely awesome. I feel Good. like I can go and 
be be an American. You know, I can go and have freedom and maybe own a gun and go to Australia. Things things like and vote. I mean, a big one was vote. I mean, man, like I had to miss an election. I'm like, I want to go and vote. I want to go and do my my due diligence as a citizen of the United States. I couldn't do that. So um, and now, those are little and, little little rights, man, that people take advantage of. And now a Longhorn potentially, uh, you know, walking on the football team, man. Big team, yeah, big time, man. When I got I got admitted to the at UT, um, so funny story behind all that. Um, I knew that UT was not going to accept my application as a student unless I was exonerated. You know, I mean, mm. they just weren't going to give me the time of day because they just. A, a, a university at a caliber, yeah, a caliber, a high caliber university like UT would not, you know, it, it, where they don't know their fate, you know. So, I uh, the moment I got exonerated, I started working through the system where I need to communicate and contact everybody that I possibly can at UT to take a look at my application because I needed it to, I needed to appeal the spring semester because I missed the deadline because I was still fighting through that injustice. So I missed the deadline, right? And I ended up, I ended up uh, contacting the admissions, and I wasn't getting, I wasn't getting any answers back. So I tried contacting a couple other offices, and then I finally went to the president's office, and I literally called them while I was in New York. And I said, man, I need to talk to whoever I need to talk to. In my situation, my name's Greg Kelly. I recently just got exonerated. I my dream is go to UT. I have the grades. I made sure to go to ACC and get straight A's for two years. Got my GPA up to a 3.8. Um, I just, I want to get, I want to get into the, the, the school college of education and I want to, I want to study kinesiology and it, what do I need to do? Do you want me to write an essay? Like, tell me what I need to do and I'll do it tonight. And so, um, they said, okay, Greg, well, we, this is what you need to do and you're going to need to file an appeal and appeal the spring semester deadline and that has to get approved. And then you're going to have to file your application to get approved, to get admitted into university. I was like, all right, whatever. So I'll go and do it. And so I did it. And I got it all done within a couple of days and I filed it. My appeal got approved. And then I, and then two weeks later, my application got approved and I, I got that email saying I was admitted to university of Texas. And so it was, it was unbelievable, man. I mean, it was something that I've been dreaming for, for a long time. And now I'm waiting on, it seems like the hardest thing, you know, you getting university of Texas as a student would be hard. Right. And I, I felt like it was hard, you know, having to get the grades for it. Um, but dude, I mean, I'm like biting and chomping at the bits here to, to see if I'm going to be able to play football Yeah, uh, for UT. Hey, man. I know so what you I mean. That I, celebration. I went through the same thing when I went, when I was in a student there at UT, I mean, it obviously wasn't as, you know, uh, as, as crazy a situation as yours, but I mean, it's still, it's, it's, it's anxiety, you know, eats at you. Yeah, absolutely, mm -hmm. man. I will say this as a fan of the, as a diehard fan of the team, I want at the very minimum, I want you on special teams. I need a guy like you on special teams. You're going to make a play. I'm, I'll, if you want me to sign a petition, I'm team for that. You're out there ready to make a play. I mean, I, there's, <laughs> there's no reason. Yeah, his, his fate depends on your petition for sure. Yeah, I'm just saying, listen, I'm, I, I put, throw me something, I'll sign it. I, I'm, I'm all for it, man. But yeah. You know, it, you are you know more than we do. It has a funny way of working out, and so I, it looks like the Big Twelve is going to happen. They announced today that they're going to go forward with it. So hopefully that expedites your process there, and you could join these boys for what's going to yeah. be the Big Twelve championships. Well, it's amazing. UT, you're going to have a blast, man. It's so much fun. It's the be it's like the be it's the best school. I didn't even realize how good it was. I'd never really been until I went, and it's the best. It's it's amazing. <laughs> you already know. 
Um, but we close out I the see. show every time, same way, all the guests. Your favorite sports memory, Greg? My favorite sports memory uh, would have to be when I when I played Rouse High School as a junior. And uh, it's so funny, man, how they, they highlighted this one this one highlight where it was whenever I, I hit the crap out of Billy, Billy Ray, uh, who was a quarterback at Rouse High School at the time. Billy is a phenomenal athlete. I mean, he's super fast. I mean, I mean, if you if you ran track in the district, you knew who Billy was because he, he was that guy that ran like a low 10 in the 100. Well, this guy was a stud athlete and like he I mean, he was the guy, you know, and so. Whenever I was coming across that edge, man, I was coming on that edge, coming up for a safety blitz. Um, I, dude, he was caught without running backs blocking, and I just split those running backs and went in there and, and uh, hit the crap out of him, made him force fumble, um, gave went in for the sack, and still to this day, uh, I, I just think it's, I think it's one of my best memories ever, man, because I think, I think uh, I didn't really get on, get on the news a lot, you know, because I had, there was so many, so much talent. And Leander, I mean, so much. Oh, yeah. I was just a junior at the time, and they were, they were, um, they were focusing on the seniors. So when I got on the news, and it was because they were like potentially saying this could be the hit of the year, I was like, oh yeah, that felt good. So um, I love that. Yeah, that was my favorite memory. Yeah, keep in mind, guys. Rouse was the team that Georgetown beat that year to go to the state championship. So Nick. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, Nick. Yeah. They were good that year. Rouse was great. I mean, that was surprising. They were they were a new school, but yeah, they were a good team. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Uh, hey, my pleasure. Greg, being thank, you. thank you. Thank you so Seriously, much man. for coming. Man. Thank you for being thank so you, open, man. Uh, I, I just after watching it, you know, we really are happy for you. Um, it's a well told documentary, of course, and we're happy for you and your family, and you and Gabri, and wishing you got your family, uh, your new family, your old family, the best. And once COVID's up, we're going to be down in Austin. We have your email. We'll hit you up. Beer's on us um, at any bar in 6th Street you, you, cho- you choose. Uh, we can make recommendations <laughs> if you want. We're down for it, man. But um, seriously, the best of you guys. Enjoy it and have a good vacation too, man. Thank you. I appreciate that, guys. Uh, definitely, yeah, reach out. We'll definitely go have a beer. Sweet. Throw some actions too if you guys Yeah, dude, oh, yeah, yeah. Please, I'm, I'm down. Oh, yeah. I'm so down for that, man. Really awesome show. Um, crazy story. Uh, yeah, could, unimaginable watching the whole docuseries unfold. Um, urge you guys to watch it if you haven't yet. Um, and hope you enjoyed the show. Continue to support Greg, follow his story. And yeah, just be aware. You know, prison reform is a real thing. It's needed across the board. Um, it's really shocking stuff, but amazing episode. Really thankful to Greg. And we are brought to you by Opa Seasonings. Go to opafoods.com. Use the code the charity stripe. Get 10% off. It's the best seasonings in the game. Use it all the time with all my food. And they're giving some some back to the homeless because hashtag everybody eats. Thank you for joining us today. Seriously. Um, more great stuff coming at you guys. To the fans out there, drag both feet inbound, swing on a full count, rip that puck, hit that putt, hit your PKs, and hit your free throws, guys. Why? Because they're free. We out you. We love you.
Baker. Puts it up. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.